0: So last week, we, we looked at the first two of these four verses. If you're like, oh, I wasn't here last week, that's okay. You're forgiven. Um, you can watch the podcast or the live stream. It's archived. I encourage you to do that. I'll, re, I'll review a little bit, um, retread some, just to help keep our context. Uh, but really, it's part two of a message entitled Spiritual Immaturity, where the writer is talking to this group of believers uh, about maturing in their faith. And so there's some good stuff Uh, for us. Okay. All right. Well, if you're there, I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we do, just in honor of God and his word. And uh, I'll retread, I'll just start at verse 12. And as we unpack these verses, I'll try to remember to explain the the context um, for us as well. The writer says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again, the first principles of the oracles of God. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. And here's the commentary of that. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe or a baby is really what it translates to. But solid food belongs to those who are mature, full age. That is, those who by reason of practice, or you're living the word, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. All right. Short verses, but good verses. Let's pause. We'll pray. Father, thank you again for the morning. Thank you, God, for the blessing that we can gather together to open your word, to study your word in a public place. So much of the world, Lord, does not have such privilege. God, as we've prayed often throughout this past year with COVID and restrictions, we're grateful that we can be here together in person Lord, we pray that your spirit would come and teach us, lead us, guide us. Ultimately, Lord, we know it's the spirit of the Lord that's authored the word of the Lord that speaks to the people of the Lord. So God, give us ears to hear and a heart to obey. We uh, lift up Tanner to you. We're grateful for him, for his family, for all that you've done in his life. And Lord, even as there's an unknown of whether he's going to leave this week or, or whenever, Lord, we just pray you'd be with him, comfort him. We're grateful for him. And Father, we ask that you bless them in every way. And bless our time of study now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Take a moment, say hello to someone, and then you can have a seat. Hello. Hello. Good morning. (laughs) So several years ago, it was probably a lot of years ago, actually, in the United States, uh, well, I think they do it every year, right? the, the the Milk Advisory Board, I think that's the name of the organization, they put forth these commercials, and several years ago, I think it was 18 or 19 years ago, they had these uh, this series of TV commercials, and the tagline was, Got Milk. You guys remember those? And they're pretty funny commercials. I mean, even the the original one where the guy is eating a giant peanut butter sandwich and then the radio calls him to answer this trivia question. You remember that? And he's, and he's working at the museum of who shot Alexander Hamilton. And he's like, Aaron Burr, If you have no idea what I'm talking about, Google it later. It's pretty, it's pretty hilarious. Uh, and apparently, not just commercials, but they also had print ads where they'd have famous athletes and actors and different personalities and the same kind of thing the tagline was just got milk and so I had one for Garfield um, you know so he's eating his favorite food lasagna uh, I found out though it wasn't just the United States Like uh, here in Japan they also around the same time had uh, this campaign for people to drink milk and their tagline wasn't got milk but it was called ask milk and uh, and The commercials are hilarious. Again, Google them later, not right now, uh, because I want you to listen to me. But one of them featured this kid in class who's drinking milk, and the teacher gets upset. She thinks that he's not paying attention, so she starts to throw chalk at him. And the whole commercial is him dodging these various pieces of chalk, and so the one scene is where he catches it with his chopsticks. Uh, Alex, who's translating... I actually found all of the commercials for this series, and they are bizarre, and they're hilarious. But anyways, again, you can Google it later. Uh, For me as a kid, the one that I remember the most that sticks out in my mind, and it's from the late 80s and 90s, was the tagline was, Milk, it does the body good. You guys remember that? Milk, it does the body good. Um, Here in Hebrews chapter 5, In this particular section, we have been reading about milk. And the writer is using it as a a symbol, it's a metaphor for the Word of God. And not just the Word of God, but specifically the basics of the Word of God, the ABCs of the Word of God. And together we would conclude that milk does the body good, the, the Word of God does the body good, but the writer is making a particular case to say to partake only of milk, is not good. Especially if you and I have been a Christian for some time. Because we understand by implication of verse 12 that though by this time you ought to be teachers, that God has a desire for you and for me to grow in our faith. that He wants us to mature in our faith. And so, a pure milk diet is appropriate for babies. It's appropriate for when you and I first come to faith. But to feed only on milk, to feed only on the ABCs of God's Word over and over again, well, it's not good for our growth. Now, in the verses prior, in verses 11 and 12, we noted several things. There's a warning there. There's a There's a little bit of a stinging rebuke where he he says, listen, I I want to explain more. And the bigger context is the writer is writing about the priesthood. And he's explaining how Jesus fulfills the priesthood. And he came from the order, not of Aaron through the Levites, but the order of Melchizedek. And he says, listen, I want to explain more of this. I have much more to say. It's hard to explain. Not because the subject matter is hard, but he tells us why. Because you have become dull of hearing. You've become disinterested. You've become lazy in unpacking these things. And so we looked at it and said, wow, we want to be careful. We realize it's possible then for any of us to also become guilty of being dull of hearing. And we don't want that. We need to guard against that. In fact, one of the clear signs that we, you and I are in motion in terms of going backwards in our faith is if we have a disinterest in the things of God. If there's not a desire for us to open the word and hear the word, then that's a sign that, listen, you, we're going backwards, not forward. And what happens? Well, it stunts our growth. We can find ourselves in regression. And one of the first things that starts to be impacted is our witness. The writer says, you know, at this time, you should be at this particular level. These things should be things that you're talking about, that you're having conversation with. What's God doing in your life? But if we're not feeding on the Word of God, well, what happens? Our witness is impacted. Our words are impacted. If we don't have a healthy spiritual intake, then, you know, our giving out is going to suffer. And so we understood it. Listen, God wants us to grow. He doesn't want us to remain in spiritual infancy. Well, we all begin there, but He doesn't want us to remain there. So we come back to these same verses and want to understand, okay, what else does God have for us? Verse 13, we read, For everyone who partakes... Now, I'm reading from the New King James Version. And sometimes in this version and others, you'll come across words that are italicized. And so in my Bible, it says only, and only is italicized, only of, um, of milk. And so why it's italicized is basically that this translation um, adds in some guides or some helps to emphasize what the writers wanted to emphasize. And so if you have a different translation and that modifier only isn't there, just still understand the emphasis is still upon a person who exclusively drinks milk. And the context of verse 12 tells us that. right? You you, you need someone again to teach you the first oracles, or excuse me, the first principles of the oracles of God. You've come to need milk. And so the writer ties those two things together. To only need the basics, and he equates it to milk. Again, it's the ABCs of our faith. I said this before I, I, I want to just repeat it to make sure we don't un, misunderstand. For all of us, the milk of God's word is needed. like we need the milk of God's word. Like we need to know the ABCs of our faith. We need to know the basic tenets of what we believe. It helps us to lay then, a sure and solid foundation, which then we can build upon and we grow stronger in our faith. Peter, who writes some time later in 1 Peter 2 2, he uses the same analogy, though it's a little different. He says, As newborn babes, let's desire the pure milk of God's word that we might grow thereby. Now, from verse 2 and on, Peter then also changes the metaphor, and he talks about growing, and then he uses the imagery of construction. He uses the imagery. He says, just like you and I are these living stones, we're spiritual uh, Legos being built into a spiritual house, and he talks about a building that's being built up. And so, gang, to know then the, the basics of our faith, it's important for us. It lays a foundation, and of course, foundations are very important. To have a solid foundation then enables us to have a solid formation. When I was a kid, my mom would tell me to drink milk, and she would say, it makes your bones stronger. And then she'd also say, onions make you smarter. And so I drink a lot of... uh, But I don't know if it's true, I just had a lot of bad breath and, you know, (laughs) strong bones. (laughs) But knowing the Scriptures of then knowing who God is and who Jesus is and what He's done for us, it, it helps us to build a strong life of faith. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul uses the same type of analogy. He says, take heed on how you build upon the foundation that's been laid. And he explains why, because your life is going to be tested. There's going to be things that come at you trials and temptations and the pressures of this world. And we, we don't want to crumble. We don't want to collapse. We don't want to crash our life. And so a foundation is important, a solid and sure foundation upon the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It's vital, but listen, it is just the beginning. Just like building a house, the foundation is important. It provides the base and maybe you've seen or maybe you've had a house built. My in-laws built their house some years ago. And, and, and so they would send pictures of when they poured the foundation, when they began to build the frame and the rest of the structure went up. And so when there's a foundation, you still need the walls. You still need windows and a roof, a kitchen and a bathroom. So you can be protected from the elements. So you can eat and live indoors. And that is true of our spiritual life too. So we all need milk to grow, and drinking of spiritual milk is important. We want to grow in maturity. We need to continue to move on and build our life, the victorious Christian life and the joyful Christian life and to have endurance against the storms of life. You ever see a a house that was being built and just the foundation remains? Maybe the builder started, but they ran out of money or whatever reason, and they couldn't finish the project. Or maybe you've seen those ones where they have a foundation, the structure goes up, but the electrical's not there, the plumbing's not there. It's just the frame on this foundation. Generally, when you see that, people aren't living there. It's not ready for them to live on. Oh, it's vital, it's important that it's there, but it can't sustain a person. And likewise, the idea is there are Christians who are trying to live on just the foundation. And then they wonder why the, the winds of the world and the storms of life keep pounding against them. And they're getting beat up and brutalized. Or, or worse yet, if the foundation gets neglected, it begins to erode. Whole spiritual life cascades and it crashes. And so, gang, understand the ABCs of the Word of God, it's vital, it's good for the body, but we have to move on from only milk. What does the writer say of those who drink only of milk? He makes two comments. Number one, he says they're unskilled in the word of righteousness. They're unskilled. That that Greek word unskilled, it translates as, or it can be also um, translated as ignorant, or inexperienced or untested, they've had no experience with it. Um, this coming fall, my, my wife and I are planning, Lord willing, to travel stateside, I've been invited to do a wedding for a, a brother in Houston and looking forward to that. But our plan is to take um, Nehemiah, so he's my third kid, my second son. He's graduating high school and we're going to take him back stateside. He's going to be starting college uh, in the fall or the spring semester, so in, in December. And so we're planning to go to not only Texas, but Southern California and drop him off. And there's a part of me that's a little bit worried for Nehemiah. He was born and raised here. He only really knows Okinawa. And so for him to move to Southern California is going to be some culture shock for him. And, and one of the things that I'm sp- particularly worried about is that uh, he doesn't drive, not yet. And I thought, man, I can't envision him on a, southern, on a freeway in Southern California. Anybody ever drive Southern California freeways? Right. Uh, he is unskilled. He is inexperienced. Uh, he is, you know, he, he doesn't have any training, not yet. And so th- I'm thinking, I got to train him before he leaves, like at least here in Okinawa, and get him in the parking lot at the very least to get him some experience because I want him to be able to, to navigate the, you know, the literal roads, but also I want him to be able to navigate experiences in life. You know, College is often a place where many young people, young Christians have their faith challenged by worldly philosophies. Even in Christian schools, this is happening. If I can say this, that by the way, one of our goals here at Calvary is to help you as parents to equip our kids to know what they believe and why they believe it and give them tools to help them think critically about their beliefs. We don't just want to tell them what to believe, but for them to understand and to own the truth as the truth for themselves. We, we don't want them to be unskilled in the word of righteousness. We don't want them to be unable to handle uh, what is coming at them. The world's beliefs are like Southern California freeways, fast and furious and with a lot of road rage. And, gang, it's not just for our kids, though. This applies for us, too, that we, too, want to be able to handle the word of righteousness. You remember back in chapter 4, verse 12, the writer likens the word of God to a sword. And he says how the word of God is alive, it's active, it's unique than any other book in the world. And it does something in us. It affects something in us. And he likens it to a two-edged sword, where God does, in one sense, like heart surgery. Right? It affects, it's a heart work that God does. But not only are we affected by it, but you understand it also is effective for us. And the writer, or it's Paul, in Ephesians chapter 6 he says that we're to put on the whole armor of God, and he goes through these different pieces, and he, and he says, and pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Okay, we don't want to be unskilled in handling the Word of God. We want to properly handle our weapon, if you will to be familiar with it. You know, in Israel, every citizen is expected to serve in the military. Well, almost every citizen, there are some exceptions. And so every young man and every young woman, they go through basic training, all of them. And part of that training is they go through weapons training. They learn what it means to be able to pick up arms so that they can defend their country against the enemy and oppressors. And if needed, the, the whole nation can rise up as a citizen army. And so if you ever get a chance to go and you can pray for us, Lord willing, COVID permitting, and, you know, in a season soon, we're going to be wanting to go back to Israel and do some tours there. But if you've been or you've seen pictures, you know, it's not uncommon to see young men and young women who walking around and, and they're just carrying weapons out in the open. I remember the first time I saw there's this group of what looked like high school girls and they all were slung with, at least that I could tell, M-16s or AR-15s and, you know, eating ice cream cones and falafel. They're, they've been trained to use their weapon. And God wants us to not be unskilled in the word of righteousness. What does that mean, the word of Righteousness. I think it's more than just a descriptor of the scriptures. Certainly it's that, but I think it it alludes to to some things. And there's some debate depending on what commentary you read, but I want to submit to you that it can mean two things, mainly two things. I think it suggests that it's from the Word of God that we understand our right standing and also we understand our right living. That it's from the scriptures we understand how can we have a right standing before God. That it's only possible because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. The Bible says that our righteousness, although we might look good compared to other people, when we compare ourselves to God, we fall very short of the glory of God, the standard of God. The Bible says that your righteousness and mine is like a filthy rag before the Lord. Oh, we think it's clean, but God says, no, that thing's filthy. Paul writes in Philippians 3.9, and he says that we can be found in Jesus not having a righteousness of our own, which comes from the law, from our good deeds and trying to be good, but it comes from faith in Jesus Christ. It's a righteousness from God that we then get imputed, it's credited to us When we have faith in the Lord. So it's not based upon anything that you and I do. It's all based upon Christ. You and I are spiritually bankrupt. And the Lord in His grace comes and He deposits into your account His riches and His goodness and His righteousness. And now we've been credited with that. And so it's from the Word of God that we understand that. It's also from the Word of God that we understand that it's not just a philosophy that we live by. It's not just good morals that God wants us to have. But it's a life that we live. It's then following the Lord, growing in our faith, to be skilled in the Word of righteousness. It, bo- it means to both be f- firmly secure in who we are and then faithfully seeking who Christ is. And it's from God's word that we learn both of those things. And he'll talk more about that in verse 14. What else does he say? For those who only drink milk, well, they don't know how to handle their weapon. They're unskilled in understanding their, their place before the Lord and how to live for the Lord. Unskilled in the word of righteousness. And then he just basically he says, and you're a baby. <laughs> for he is a babe. That's not a good thing. Like, ooh, I'm a babe. No, you're a baby. That's the idea. In the Greek, it's the word napios, and it means infant. Again, let me, let me just repeat this. It's not to say that the basics of our faith are bad for those who are mature. Right? It's good for us to remember and reinforce truths. But the emphasis, again, was upon only milk. And so it's appropriate, then, for new believers in Christ, babes in Christ, when we first come to the Lord, well, to begin with the basics the milk of God's Word. It's vital. It's appropriate. But we don't want to remain in spiritual infancy. And and by the way, this wasn't a a challenge just for this group of believers. In fact, Paul, Paul, we don't know who the writer of Hebrews is. He never identifies himself. But Paul, who writes to the Corinthian church, Actually, let's turn there. We don't have a third service. I keep you guys as long as I want, right? Just joking, just joking. My goal always is to beat that bell. 1 Corinthians, so just a couple books back. Chapter 3. I know we live in an age of digital things, but man, the sound of Bible pages turning, that's, that's a great sound. 1 Corinthians 3, Paul writes, he says, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people. The idea is, he's like, I couldn't speak to you as mature, but I had to speak to you, well, you're carnal. You see that? And he says, as babes in Christ. Guess what? It's the same word. It's the same napios. you're, You're babies. He says, I started off, I fed you, I began, I fed you with milk, not with solid food but guess what? You still can't eat solid food. Even now you're not able because you're still carnal. You're still babies. And he goes on to say, and you're acting like babies, like toddlers in the toddler room, mine and fighting and arguing. There's envy and strife and divisions. Are you not carnal? You're acting in the flesh like mere men. You know what's interesting about this church is that they were very busy with activities. This was a church that was established, and in fact, we find out from the other, you know, he wrote more than one letter that it was a church that was pretty gifted. They're abusing the gifts, and so he has the right to correct them on their gifts, not to disqualify the gifts, I hope that you understand, but to correct them in their gifts, but he still calls them carnal and immature. It's a good reminder for us that that spiritual giftedness in itself and and talent doesn't automatically equal spiritual maturity. You can meet very gifted people, very talented people, Christians in fact, and yet they can be very immature. Sometimes we we tend to put an, an, an equal sign there. The people are most gifted. Let's give them places of leadership. But, you know, God looks at character, not charisma. And by the way, that's why the Lord has called and ordained and we as a church are recognizing what God has done in Alex's life. While he is charismatic, the emphasis is on his character. And Alex is quite the character, right? Yeah, interesting. And we we cannot grow apart from the Word of God. And let me just make a... I'll tie in a quick application from Corinthians, although it's not necessarily in Hebrews for us, although I think it ties together. Church activities and serving and volunteering, those are great things. And, And I do believe that the Bible teaches that us together as a church that we together need to share then our gifts and talents, that we then get to grow up together in maturity. Ephesians chapter 4. And each of us has a role and responsibility, and we have different seasons, so it's going to look a little different. But no one or small group of people can do it all by themselves. Like a physical body, we each have a place and a function and importance, and we're all needed. And so serving is needed and we want to be active as the Lord leads us, right? We don't want to just have activity for the sake of activity. But please understand this, that activity and giving and giftedness, it cannot be a substitute for our spiritual diet. That is, by the way, when those who when we're serving here, one of the things that we hope that we want to impart is to ask you to come and get fed and then to serve, to sit a service and serve a service. And I realize it's difficult. Some of you have young kids and schedules and, and it's hard. I mean, we're realistic, we get it, but the blessing is we also have archive teachings and podcasts and so But please understand, this is what we believe, the heart of God. God cares more about who we are in Him and our walk with Him than what we do for Him, than our work for Him. What we do for the Lord and our work for the Lord has to be the overflow of our walk with Him and our love for Him. And sometimes we invert that. And we make the mistake to think, well, I'm busy, and I'll just do these things, and that will be my spiritual life. You know, Jesus told the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, he says, listen, I know your good deeds, I know you're serving in the nursery, I know you went downstairs and saw Nicole and signed up after second service when Rick was mentioning this. Thank you. The Lord says he sees. He acknowledges their, their labor, he acknowledges the fact that they know things, but then he has this, he has this criticism. He says, nevertheless, I have this against you. Anybody know what it is? What did the Lord have against the church of Ephesus? What was the the thing that he was concerned about for a thousand points? Anybody know? It's okay, I'll tell you. He says, you've left your first love. You've left your first love. See, they allowed activity and works to replace their adoration and the word. And gang, we don't want to do that. The word for babe, again, it's the word napios. It literally means infant. There's an appropriateness then. It's appropriate then for the nursery class, for our children's ministry, to feed only on milk, for us to be serving then spiritual milk. And here we want to faithfully then provide milk to our kids, provide milk even for us here in service, you know, those who are newer in their faith, if you've come to Jesus recently. But we also want to give the solid food because we want to mature. You know, people ask about our church, and I often say this. You can turn back to Hebrews 5, by the way. I, I'll say this in jest, but there's some truth to it. They'll say, oh, how would you describe your church? And I'm like, I, I think I have. we have the best church on planet Earth. And then I'll often say, we're actually a children's church with an adult ministry. There are more kids than there are adults. And if they ever found out, to be like Lord of the Flies. We're going to be in trouble, right? They'll take over. And I think that's a good thing. I think that's the heart of the Lord. And I am very biased. I think that Kaylee and the team, they do an amazing job at teaching our kids the Word. It's not just fun and games. They have that, but it's the Word of God. It's taught at their level. So they can understand scripture and learn and live scripture. There's solid teaching that's being brought to our kids. But sadly, there are some churches where the adult service is the children's service. There's no difference between the two. And you find these churches that then cater to and they're content with having their people be spiritual babies. They're just feeding milk. The message is all milk. And the presentation is all preschool, Where, where more attention is given to theatrics than theology. You find more demonstrations than you do doctrine. It's fog machines and laser shows and beach balls that are bouncing around. It's a ton of funny stories with a little bit of scripture. And so now you have churches that then cater to just spiritual infancy. And that's how they treat them. You ever see when you're trying to get a a baby to get your, you're trying to get their attention, you want to take a picture, right? There's a family and and there's a baby and what what usually happens? You usually have to clap, you make some sound, make some crazy noise. Hey, look over here make like a puppet just to get their attention. You know, and there are churches then that do that. They have their squeaky toys and their props because it's necessary to keep the attention of the people who come and the measure of success of those churches is smiles and a good time. You know, when my kids were little, I, I had to... Coerce them to, uh, to eat solid food. So they'd be sitting in the high chair and I'd be like, here comes the train, right? Here comes the airplane, Ooh, open up. And I had to coerce them and trick them and entertain them just to get them to eat. Gang, can I say this in love? It's not good if you and I need to be entertained in order for us to eat. There are some churches that even they dilute the milk. And, and you go, and it's just spiritual toddlers being spoon-fed. And it's all about the emotions. They're very excited, and there's no spiritual sustenance. You know what Paul says? The function of church, why we gather? That same passage in Ephesians 4 that I referenced earlier. where together, we're to grow up. And he talks about there are certain roles and responsibilities that God gives to the church. And here's the phrase that he uses, so that we would no longer be children. Guess what word he's use, he uses there? Napios. That we would no longer be toddlers. Oh, we start that way. That's a beginning. That's a foundation. He says, but we don't want to stay there. We don't no longer be toddlers, but we need to grow up in all things into maturity, into him, the head, who is Jesus Christ. And how do we do that? Well, it's verse 14. Here's a contrast. But solid food belongs to those who are mature. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Can we understand in the natural, babies can't process solid food. You introduce solid food too early to a kid, it's not going to be good. Their digestive system can't handle it. But as they grow naturally, as they partake of milk, they'll have a natural desire to want to eat solid food. And that's how God's designed it. And the same is true spiritually. We start with milk, and certainly we can still drink milk, but we grow and we mature. and We start to partake of more complex spiritual truths and doctrines and theology. And to include then, by reason of use, to exercise, to live out our faith. Not just be consumers of it, but then to live it out. It's generally babies that just consume, right? They consume and they poop and they sleep, right? That's usually their function, (laughs) We have uh, different families that will come over the house, and sometimes we'll have little kids that will come over and babies, and some of the families, and we don't have babies at our house anymore, but, but we have two baby chairs at our house, and none of our kids sit in that them. It'd be a sight to see for Ben to try to sit in that thing. You know. But one of them is this baby bumpo thing that we actually got from the Sartors. You know what those are? Like these foamy, they're like lazy boys for babies. I know. I used to think that'd be a I want to make an adult version of that chair, right? Because it just kind of holds you up. You don't got to do nothing. You just, you know. <laughs> and so when when you come over we place your kid, we just put them into the, the bumpo thing on the floor. And they're just kind of propped up. They just sit there. There's not much activity. But as the kids grow, then they begin to then eat more and they get more active and they start crawling around and... That's all natural. That's all healthy. We we want them to do that, to learn to crawl and learn to walk and go potty by yourself and tie your shoe, do your own laundry, learn how to print your name and drive a car in the Southern California freeway. We want that, right? And so how is the mature then described here? Solid food belongs to it, it, it's part of the spiritual diet and, and gang I want to say this in love I think it's okay to have fun I think there's an element where God has a you know I think God has a sense of humor and we want to not be entertained for the sake of entertainment but it's okay to enjoy ourselves but as as God would allow me I'm, I want to serve you solid food you know, what we do here at Calvary, maybe you've heard this term before, the way that we teach, the way that we study, it's called inductive. It's systematic and it's inductive. And inductive is just basically a, a fancy way to say we, we read the scriptures as they are, then we want to seek to understand them, not insert our own idea, but allow the scripture then to tell us what God wants to say. We want to understand it, and then move beyond that to interpret it. What does it mean for us today? What did it mean for the original audience? What does it mean for us? And then I want to put a handle on that. I want to be able for us to put it in our pocket so that when we leave here, it's something we apply and we chew on and we live it out. And so that's called inductive. Systematic just means the, our system. And our system is this generally we take a book of the Bible and we go chapter by chapter and verse by verse. Generally, we're not topical. We're not. Topicals have their place, but generally we're not bouncing around from Scripture to Scripture. We're, we're just going to plow right through. And guess what happens? We'll come across some topics that are kind of heavy, that are a little more challenging. In fact, we're going to get there next week, chapter 6. It's a doozy. And so I'm excited to see what Alex is going to teach. It's, you know. <laughs> we don't avoid it. We don't dismiss it. We don't ignore it. We're going to take it as it comes. Because we want to be able to eat the solid food of Scripture. It's important for us to grow. What else does he say? For those who are mature, solid food belongs to those who are mature. And by reason of use, they have their senses exercised. By reason of use that basically means you're doing it. You're putting into practice the things that we're learning. It's not just information, but hopefully it's transformation. Hopefully this is where the Spirit of the Lord then inspires us and we say, yes, Lord, this is what we should do. We learn it and then we live it. And I'm, I'm grateful that this part was included because I think there's sometimes where people make the mistake to think I just need to know it as though that in itself is okay. No, it, that in itself is just the beginning. It's one part of it. Because there are some people who just love to learn. But they never really put into practice what they've learned. And just like there are those who can make a mistake that activity is a substitute for adoration, where works becomes a substitute for their time in the Word, there's also another category where people just mistake knowledge as though that's maturity. I know all of these things. And they pride themselves on intellectual knowledge, where scholarship becomes the substitute for spirituality. Listen, the mark of maturity isn't only measured by how much you know, but it's by how much you use, by how much you do. The degree of our obedience to the Word of God is the degree of our maturity. And so we need to be be careful that we don't make the mistake to think, well, just because we have possession of biblical information, that that means that we're spiritually mature. Because I've seen people and I'm sure you have too, they know a lot about the Bible. They have all the Bible books and commentaries they can quote from their favorite Bible teacher and podcasts and and all these deep theology and yet there's no fruit in their walk. They have the self-appointed ministry of just arguing with people about doctrinal and the, theological positions. I'm like, I, that's great, pick up a broom. Go, go serve. And the danger is that if we allow that to become the replacement of our, of our walk with the Lord, we become like the Pharisees who just have all this head knowledge and don't do anything. Remember what Jesus said about them? You're a hypocrite. The Lord himself grew both in, in stature, embodied both truth and grace. Jesus was full of truth and grace. Peter says that we're to grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and the grace. And so the more mature that we become, the humbler we should become and the more gracious gracious we should become. More like Jesus, not like the Pharisees. And so solid food for the mature, but by reason of their use, making it part of our lifestyle regularly we read and we learn and we study and we live and we and we it it becomes a part of us when we do that what does it do for us then we read it says and those who do that well they have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil and so here's a benefit when we do that It allows us then to grow in discernment. As we grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord, we grow in discernment. And I would say to you that more than ever in this day and age, we need discernment, we need wisdom. Because the life around us is like Southern California freeways it's fast and furious, and there's some road rage. When it says our senses exercised, the writer is saying our, our spiritual senses become fine-tuned. It's like your spidey senses, but they're spiritual senses. And it's the opposite of the dull of hearing. It's, it's to have an acute discernment. It's the, it, it, it couples the ability both to perceive and to decipher To read the air and to make sense of what it means. Say so I marvel some of you, you know, we could be standing outside and and I've been, you know, I grew up here and I lived here for 20 years and and anytime an aircraft flies overhead, I, I kind of know, okay, that's an airplane or that's a helicopter. There, there, there's a difference in the sound that it makes. You know, for people who are new or they're visiting, like when they hear they just, It's some kind of aircraft. They don't know the difference. Now, for some of you, you can be standing outside even before we see what's coming. Just by the sound, you're like, oh, that's this type of bird. No. Oh, it's the osprey or it's this particular plane. You, You have your senses exercised because of your exposure to the aircraft, and because of that, just by listening, you can discern what's coming. Well, Alex is coughing. we got to wait for him. You okay, Alex? Do I tell you, you want some water? Okay. Listen, gang, if I can spiritualize that, there, there's a lot of stuff flying around the world in the church today. And there are people who can't discern what it is. To them it's all the same. They can't discern whether it's good or bad. Now, when I first read that, I thought, oh, have our, our senses exercised to discern between good and evil? Those, that should be an easy discernment. Those should be miles apart. But I realized, actually, no, it's not. You know, we're living in the day and age where Isaiah chapter 5 says, there's going to come a time where people call good evil and evil good. Where light is darkness and darkness is light. Isaiah 5.20 I don't think I have to convince you that's the world we live in today. Good things are called evil things and evil things are put forth as good things. And there's a lot of stuff flying around. There are prevailing ideologies that masquerade as truth. There are these philosophies that we're being exposed to that make their way into schools and into our organizations, into our workplaces, and sadly, more and more are making their way into the church. And then you find churches and Christians who then adopt unbiblical and unscriptural worldviews and twist scripture. Or, or really they're just they're ignorant, they haven't had exposure unskilled. And I get it. I think there's this desire for us to want to win the world, to make Christ attractive to our friends and family and to people who are lost. But listen, we... We cannot compromise the word, and we cannot compromise our faith to try to fit or appease culture. In fact, I would say to you in love, we will never fit in with culture. We're countercultural as Christians, by design. And yet there's this trend today, especially in the United States, although I see it bleeding into Japan as well, where the gospel is being redefined. And what's leading this, these ideologies, well, it's social justice, critical race theory, and it's these, these ideologies, these beliefs, these systems that, and by the way, gang, I realize like I, I got 12 minutes left. I can't unpack all of this in this time, but let me try to boil it down to this. As it relates to our ability to discern between good and evil. You can take any number of cultural and social issues today that are at the forefront of media and our minds today. It just so happens that the flavors now are social justice and, and critical race theory, though those have been around for decades. But it's when those cultural issues then become the lens in which we then look at scripture and look at the world it will distort the scripture and it distorts the world. And it's a tool that the world uses and the church is starting to adopt it. And it becomes this lens then which we look at the scripture and look at faith and look at the church and what happens is, well, it's an altered view. It's an invalid version of faith. It's an invalid version of the Bible. It's an invalid version of Christ. And there's a name for it. That's the air of what's called progressive Christianity. And gang, I want to say this. We we need to be careful. I don't know how to phrase this in a way that's both... I don't want it to miss the punch, but I don't want to come off mean. King, we have to resist and reject any any issue that we use as a filter in which we view Scripture. I mean, think of it in this terms. If you were to have glasses and you put a blue tint on them or a red tint or any color tint, it's going to affect everything you see. The world around you will be tinted. It's going to distort things. And so the baseline is this, the Bible alone must be the lens in which you and I view the world. It then enables us to see the world correctly and to understand then the real source of the problems of the world. And I would add this, the real solution to the world's problems. So bear with me, understand, social justice, critical race theory, And things that are like it, they'll look at the world, and they'll make a description. It's descriptive. And and I I would contend this with an asterisk to say there are some differences. I would contend that we mostly agree with what they see. We observe the same things. There are injustices. There are horrible evils people are being maligned and mistreated and abused because of their ethnicity and their race, their gender. There is inequality. There is poverty. There are bad things that happen. There are exploitation of people by people. We see the same things that exists in this world, which is a fallen world. And I would say as a Christian, we don't deny those things. They are factual things, but there are very subtle differences. And the difference in one is that those ideologies often say, well, look at these instances, and they'll say that is then uh, true of the whole. That all of these examples are then now uh, holistic to the entire thing. And I would say, I don't know that I agree with. The other difference is this. While we might agree with most of the descriptor, we don't agree with the prescription. We might agree with the description of what's happening in the world, but we don't agree with the prescription. That they prescribe then the reason for it and the solution for it. And that is where then you and I, if we have a biblical worldview, we will part ways. Because social justice Critical race theory pushes forth the cause and the solution. And the increased promoted solution, here's the term that they're using deconstruction. Burn it all down, destroy it. Because their assessment is the whole thing is infected. So let's just destroy the institution. Let's just destroy the government. Let's just destroy history. We're going to deconstruct it, deconstruct government, and the progressive church, guess what they say? Deconstruct your faith. And it's so subtle. That's why we need the ability to discern between what is good and what's evil. Because there's a part of that we would say, of course, who isn't against injustice? Who isn't against uh, prejudice? Who isn't against inequality and evil and, and, and people maligning other people? We're, we're not against those things. And yet the hidden hook of, the ide- of those ideologies is they'll say, okay, you see what we see? Yeah, we see what you see okay, then you should agree with our diagnosis and our prescription. And we say no. And when we do, they'll say, oh, you're part of the problem then. And they create this false dichotomy. As though you need to agree with the entirety of it all, and if you don't, then you're on the other side of that. In many ways, the Bible is so good because it boils it down into, it's a complex issue, but there's a simplistic part of it too. It's when you and I have a biblical worldview that we look at the same issues and say, oh, I know the true source of that. We live in a fallen world. The problem, the core issue, is sin. The world has fallen and man has fallen. And so the world rages. And the world then rejects God's word and, its, and his design and his definition of what it means to be a man and a woman and what marriage looks like and the family looks like and, and what governing should look like. And as the world rejects all of that, it's left with its own definition. And we can look through scripture and say, oh, I know exactly why that is. And we would say the solution then is Jesus. See, it's in all of those inequalities, and they exist. And challenges, and they exist. And they existed in the time of Jesus. They existed in the first century church. I mean, one of the first problems that pops up in the church is on ethnic lines. The Hellenistic widows and the Jewish widows... They weren't being treated the same. There's a problem there. And it's the gospel that comes forth that says, listen, in Christ, there are now, therefore, there is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female. And it's not to say that all of a sudden we have no ethnic identity. And it's not to say that we no longer have a, a, a gender, whether we're male or female. But it is to say our identity, first and foremost, is in Christ. Christ. We're to see ourselves in Christ first, and then allows us to have a proper view then of who we are and how God made us and the language we speak. and And by the way, I would even say this: it's a biblical worldview that tells us we're just really one race. We just have different melanin, right? We have different pigment levels, and so we don't deny those differences but we get to embrace them and we get to celebrate them properly. It's a biblical worldview that allows us and enables us to do that. We get to realize, oh, we are representative of the Creator God, a beautiful mosaic and tapestry of people of different shapes and colors. You know what I'd argue? I would argue this, and please Follow my train of thought. That true deconstruction happens in Jesus. The wall of separation that existed between you and God, me and God, it's because of Christ that's broken down. And reconciliation happens. Relationship then is restored. In fact, Paul uses the same language. There's a wall that separated us from the Lord and a wall that separated us between other people. And because of Christ, because of Jesus, Ephesians 2, 4, for he himself is our peace. He's made both one. And Paul was talking about Jew and Greek. And in Christ then, regardless of your ethnicity, regardless of the, the color of your skin, the language you speak, the passport that you hold, and he goes on to say, and he's broken down the wall of separation. Oh, there's the bell. I need, I need two minutes. Can I get two minutes? Colossians 3.11 says, And here now is no Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but in Christ we are all, or excuse me, but Christ is all and is in all. Why that particular list? because it hits on racial and ethnic and economic and education and previous religious status, all of it in Christ, it's erased. Those are non-issues. And so, gang, it is then when we, by reason of regular consumption of Scripture, and we live out what we learn, God says the fruit of that is our ability then to discern between good and evil things. There are ideologies that are masquerading as good and as truth, and they're not. They're corrosive, and they're divisive, and they're not in line with the Bible at all. Next week, we'll come into chapter six and probably have some more to say. But uh, we'll stop here. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Lord, I pray you'd help us and enable us to stand firm against the increasing anti Christian view of the world. And yet, at the same time, Lord, that we might speak truth to those who are lost in it. Lord, that we ourselves would grow. That we would be partakers of both milk and meat. Lord, help us not to confuse our works as a substitute for our time in your word. Lord, help us not to confuse just a head knowledge and, Lord, intellectual pursuit, academic study as a replacement for adoration and service but Lord, that we would both be partakers of solid food and then practitioners of those truths, Lord. God, I thank you for our church family. And I thank you, God, for allowing us to be a mosaic that we might then be an example and a witness to the world of what it means to live with, true separation, to be freed together, to love you and to serve each other regardless of our ethnicity or race or gender. To the glory of God we pray, amen.